This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Given William Branham's fascination with science and progress, I find it very ironic that his message promoted a people that are trained to believe that science is of the devil. Ask about several prophecies and spiritual events. Any follower of William Branham can instantly produce memorized history of the scientific evidence that Branham claimed to have proven his words. But when you start to show a massive amount of historical fact to the contrary, the quick response is that science is of the devil. Science cannot prove these things because it's hidden from the eyes of the wise and prudent. Branham promoted himself as a poor, humble little man that tromped around the hills of Kentucky like Huckleberry Finn. Any time science could be used to vindicate his ministry, it seemed like great irony because it was almost like the Beverly Hillbillies met Buck Rogers. Many people have asked me why William Branham would give these fictional stories of his poor lifestyle in Kentucky when the United States Census proves that he moved to New Albany as early as age three, or why Branham pretended to be very poor supporting fatherless siblings when his father was alive and well until early manhood. I truly believe that the irony appealed to the listeners. Take a man, for instance, who works at the Air Force in the innovation or the engineering field. If you were around such a man and knew that he was around other men who paved the way to the future with new and exciting technology, you'd not be shocked when he told you of the latest computer systems or automatic guidance controls. You'd, you would quickly realize the fact that this worker has access to the latest ideas and also recognize that some of these ideas might one day become reality. If this worker were to tell you that he had a prophecy of these guidance controls that would one day be connected to handheld devices that you can fit into your pocket, you'd probably laugh at him. 
you'd realize that this was no prophecy at all. This was simply a man watching the ideas of others to loosely predict the future. And if that prediction was slightly off, and he changed it a bit to fit newer technology, you'd discredit him as a mental case, especially when he gave you another prophecy surrounding the ideas of technology. If you had a Bible-grounded understanding of Christianity, you'd simply ask him, what does this technology have to do with the things of God? And then you'd move on. But people were captured by the irony in William Branham's fictional stories. When your mind is picturing a boy running around with a coonskin hat on his cap on his head, shooting at possum, a vision of technology is a conundrum. How can this country bumpkin, who barely knows how to read and write, understand the future of progress? Take that same man, the innovator prophet. <clears throat> if you were to find out that he traveled around from conference to conference, learning about several other new ideas and new technologies, and then came to you claiming prophecy, you'd want to stay as far away from him as possible. While he seems genuine, you'd realize that he's nothing more than a liar. I find it very interesting that some of <clears throat> Branham's prophecies deal with technology. The prophecy of the egg-shaped car, for instance. This is a prophecy that does nothing for us. There's not a single soul that has been saved because William Branham said there would be an egg-shaped car. There's not a single person that has fled idolatry, found Christ, and have held solid to their faith because of the shape of an automobile. Instead, we find several people who do not know that Branham changed this vision into something entirely different, longing for the day whenever cars will suddenly defy aerodynamics and legroom to look like Humpty Dumpty fell and grew wheels. From 1933 to 1934, Chicago held the technology spectacular of the century, the World's Fair. Century of Progress International Exposition. Interestingly, the fair started in the same year that Branham claims to have had this prophecy. And nobody even remembers or can account for Branham actually prophesying until around 1950. This particular World's Fair held exhibits for history, culture, an offensive culture, and future innovation. A ticket holder could visit the Andrew sisters singing with Judy Garland in the Rainbow City of the future, <laughs> or visit the offensive racist town of African Americans in the town of Midget City. It even had incubator incubators that held living, breathing babies. One exhibit of interest was the Dream Cars, and in this exhibit, tourists could see the automobile soon to hit the market as well as concept cars that would never make factory production. Cadillac introduced a V16 limousine, and Packard won, won best of show for a practical model that fit the, the lifestyle of most people. But it was the Lincoln prototype that will raise a few eyebrows in the cult following of William Branham.
This was the year of the Zephyr. Union Pacific Railroad exhibited its first streamlined train built for passenger speed, nicknamed the Zeph. It was proudly displayed in the Wings of Century exhibit as the main attraction. Lincoln later used this name <clears throat> for the prototype of the automobile <clears throat> that was on display at the 1933 World's Fair in Chicago. This prototype later became named the Lincoln Zephyr. And it will look familiar to many, though it will be mistaken for another. The Lincoln Zephyr looks surprisingly like the Volkswagen Beetle, with rounded egg-shaped fenders, an egg-shaped cab, and even an egg-shaped front trunk. Like the Volkswagen, this was the vehicle that had the engine in the rear, so the rest of the cab could be shaped like an egg. This was a World's Fair that William Branham attended. 1962, he says, because I was only at one World Fair in the United States, and that's when it was in Chicago years ago. I find this statement funny, <laughs> looking back through everything William Branham said about World's Fairs. Though he says in 1962 it was the only World's Fair that he ever attended, the Century of Progress in Chicago, the story was not the same in 1954, yet it's still the truth. The 1954 tale was fiction, not the statement from 1962. In 1954, he says, Here not long ago, my old Kentucky home is just across the river from me. I was sitting there at a little bench that was supposed, or the table it was valued at, $100,000 many years ago when the World's Fair was held at St. Louis. In 1953, there was to be a World's Fair in St. Louis, the Louisiana Purchase Edition. This particular World's Fair was canceled. The last World's Fair to be held in St. Louis was 1904, years before William Branham was even born. So his statement in 1962 was truth, while his tall tale in 1954 was fiction. One cannot sit in a bench that is famous before one has been born. <laughs> so if we remove William Branham from this story and place the innovator into the picture, you begin to ask yourself this question. Is this guy for real? Does he really think that I'm going to believe that he prophesied about a car that he saw in the World's Fair? Does he really think that I'm that stupid? You would discredit the innovator for his fictional prophecy. But let's continue with William Branham for a moment. Remember, this prophecy did not always remain a prophecy of an egg-shaped car. In the many times that Branham retold his account of God speaking through him and warning him of the funny-looking cars that would come, it later became a prophecy describing a driverless car. Ironically, the prophecy that describes a photograph in the newspapers in an article entitled Power Companies Build for Your New Electri Electric Living. The passengers and the driver are ignoring the steering wheel and the cars around them to play a board game, just like William Branham's vision. Again, turn back to the innovator. And assuming that you had this newspaper, 
Imagine when he changed the prophecy from an egg-shaped car that he saw in the 1933 World's Fair to that of a driverless car that he saw in the newspaper. You'd look at him, you'd look down at the newspaper, back at him, back at the newspaper, and you'd be in complete amazement that this guy would say something like this. Again, you'd ask the guy, do you really think I'm that stupid? In 1962, Seattle held the World's Fair Century 21 Exhibition. It was a similar fair to that of the 1933 Century of Progress. This was a science exhibition that displayed the technology of the 21st century. William Branham wouldn't have missed it for the world. 1962, he says, Oh, Father, when passing through the World's Fair a few days ago, looking at the achievement man has done and how he's progressed, how the people had gathered from around the world to see what the world was doing, finding their best that they have did, Germany, England, Switzerland, the world around was displaying what they've been able to improve upon. In this World's Fair, that car from the magazines was on display. William Branham says this in 64, And now it is said it shall come to pass before the end time we will come that autom automobiles will take on the shape of an egg, become more like an egg. And I saw that American family driving down the highway in a car that they were sitting there facing each other. They had a table and were looking like playing checkers or cards. And they didn't have any steering wheel in the car, and it was controlled by some power without a steering wheel. How many remembers me prophesying that? See? That's been here. Now, at the World's Fair, they already got that car on market. 1964, questions and answers. It's very interesting because... William Branham does not want his listeners to know just how incredible that this World's Fair really was. This was the World's Fair that dedicated the world-famous Space Needle, a monument in Seattle that the entire world is now familiar with. But according to Branham, this is nothing fancy. It's just about like one of the small hotels in Louisville. 1962, he says, But at that World's Fair, I'd taken the family and went over. It was no more than the Louisville Fair right over there. You've seen that Space Needle. They, look, they talked about it. It was nothing else but to go over here at the Elsie Bill or the Brown Building or somewhere and go up about eight or ten flights in an elevator and come back down. That was it. And to think General Electric was the one who had been down there. Also interesting is one attraction that would have reminded William Branham of his visit to Pig Alley, the sex capital of the world. Branham, you remember, wanted to visit Pig Alley to see if it was as bad as everybody claimed. And his conclusion was, yep, it's pretty bad. <laughs> At the northeast corner of the fair, Show Street was the adult entertainment section. Adult-only ticket holders could visit Vegas-style floor shows, puppet shows, and an attraction called Les Poupies de Paris, which featured the naked girls of the galaxy. This exhibit was only on display briefly. It was later shut down. But the adult entertainment is not the captivating part of this story. 
Though William Branham supposedly went to the fair, went back down to Arizona to get his wife and children, and then went back to the fair, the interest of the prophecies of technology is the focal point. Now knowing that Branham saw these technologies beforehand in the World's Fair. I can only imagine the situation that I described earlier, where an innovator traveling to various technology conventions pretended to prophesy from God, and the look on your faces knowing that this man was prophesying from things that he saw in the World's Fair, and learning that he was prophesying from the work of other people. Disgust. The same thing happened with the children of Israel. Prophets from God spoke words that came directly from the mouth of God. But sorcerers, men pretending to be prophets, giving themselves visions by other means, tried to lead many astray. These men invoked fear into the hearts of men, seemingly having great power. Men with insight in areas of the future, having knowledge that others do not have, can appear to be supernatural powers. Because many of the prophecies they give, one is bound to come pass. As soon as that one seems true, the sorcerer now becomes a prophet. That is why God gave us warning to test the prophets. Not just one. Test them all. If the word did not come from God, but the sorcerer guessed what would happen, or he already knew what would happen by going to conventions with egg-shaped chariots, God's children might be fooled. So God instructed us to test all the prophecies. If one single prophecy does not come to pass exactly as the prophet says, then we know we're dealing with a man who is not telling us the truth. There are three scriptures that I find helpful, and I think you'll find that they apply not only to William Branham's ministry, but others just like him from days gone by. They're God's word to us, instructing us, giving us instruction on how to remain awake and alert. Deuteronomy 18.20-22 But the prophet, who shall speak a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he will speak in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken. When the prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come to pass or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Then another one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 20-22. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. But one of my favorites is James 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Worthless. 